tonight. We have Brother Aaron Mayo with us. Hallelujah. Preached his first time here at Cornerstone back at the other building when he was about 17 years old. And he's still loving the gospel and preaching it today. He's pastoring a church in South Spokane. Hallelujah. Let's put our hands under the Lord as he comes in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Brother Jordan, why don't you just play that song on the piano that you guys were just doing? It's done. If, uh, if you're older than 18, go ahead and be seated just real quick. Is this okay? Just, just going to do I know some of you older ones think you're still 18. You forgot what 18 feels like. Young people, if you ever wonder why the devil fights you so hard to live for God, why it feels like the whole world is pitted against you to live for God, you think about that song that Brother Gassande wrote. Because I got to tell you, if you're going to live for God in this day and age, you're going to have to defy all the odds. And the devil knows if you ever make it, what your potential can be. The devil knows if you ever make it. Well, man, I can't sing like Brother Gassande. I can't write. See, you're already buying into the lie. Because what God has for you is so beautiful, is so incredible, is so life-changing that he ever lets you buy into the lie that you're just another young person in a big church if he ever gets you to buy into the lie that God will never do anything with your life you think back to this song and you say if God could do it through Brother Gassande surely God could do something through me if God could save him if God could use him God, can you use me? Come on, young person. This may be the only thing I have to say to you tonight, but, but God, use me. God, see me. I, I can't sing, God, but maybe I can witness. God, I, I don't have a voice, but maybe I can pray. God, I don't know how to pray, but, but maybe I can just be a lover of truth. I don't know what God saw in me. But he said he'd use me. Just a skinny little kid everybody picked on back in the big church. When I moved here, there was more young people in our youth group than there was in Cornerstone. I said, God, what in the world am I doing in this place? take me back to my big church and the big choir and God said you know what I got a plan for you but God what can I do just follow me may not be singing you may not be playing the guitar the piano but God's got such a special plan young person 
Can I just have the young people raise their hands and say, God, use me. Can we try that? Close your eyes. This is real easy, young person. God, I don't know what you have for my life. God, I don't even know what next year holds, but God, use me. God, use me in your greater plan. Can I have a parent pray with their kid? Just, God, use them. God, there's got to be something in your grand plan that fits them like a glove. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. I hope that was okay. If we could all stand, I just really felt to do that. Man, I am so glad to be here. You know you're home when you pull in the parking lot. And Brother Zach is parked in pastor's spot with founder privileges. Amen? Let's give Zach a round of applause. He's the only one that can get away with that. No, I love being home. I want to give honor to my pastor and my pastor's wife who believed in me, who loved me, despite many challenges that I hope you never have to hear. But I thank God for my pastor and my pastor's wife. I also want to say thank you to all the elders of this church uh, that were here to grin and bear when I first started preaching, and you're going to have to grin and bear it today. I was telling Brother Earl, 16 years this month, I have been in Cornerstone, and it has been incredible, 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 incredible. Stay with it. We're just so blessed. Thank you, elders. Brother Sack Popo. Brother and Sister Larson. Brother Rodriguez. He's running around here somewhere. Each of you play an integral part in me being here today, and I appreciate you and love you. Thank you. Amen. Well, I don't really know how this is all going to roll out, but I'm going to do my best to deliver you what I have here today. Brother Abby caught me in the back, and he said, I got 30 minutes, and I agree with him. I believe in multiplication. I'll at least, at least be 30 minutes. That makes you feel better. Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Some of you are already grabbing for your purse, trying to make it towards the door. I saw you, sister. I saw you. That's okay. You can get the tape, CD, whatever we're doing now. Luke chapter 2. In verse number 7, just one verse of scripture, the Bible says, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room. Everyone say no room for them in the inn. And I know this sounds like a Christmas message, but I really believe that God will speak to someone here if you will have ears to hear. Just before this service, we had a Bible study, and there was about seven of us, and I'll tell you, God moved in that Bible study. God worked in that Bible study, and I believe just like those seven 
that those of us here will have ears to hear God's word. God will speak to you. So let's pray, but let's pray specifically. God, any distraction, any amount of fatigue, any amount of worry that's on the calendar, any amount of stress that's coming in the future, God, I pray, give me a moment of clarity. God, that I could hear your word, that you could do a work in me, that you could challenge me, that you could change me. God, that you can help me become, God, the individual, the person, the man, the woman that you designed me to be. God, I pray in the name of Jesus against every distraction, against every lying devil that wants to disrupt this service. God, I pray in the name of Jesus. God, let there be more power in this service than there is distraction in our hearts. God, let there be a more anointing in your word, in our ears. God, that there is distraction in my calendar. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Amen, amen, amen. You may be seated. I'm going to do my very best to teach and preach today on no vacancies. No. Zero. Vacancies. Vacancies is a word still employed by hotels everywhere. No vacancy means in its simplest form that there is no longer any available space. Now, I don't recommend this, but if you drive down Sprague at about 11 o'clock, you will see many, many signs that say no vacancy. The hotels will put it on their front doors to let you know before you even enter the building that there's no reason to stop here. There's no room left. Don't waste your time. Don't pull out your wallet because despite your status, your credibility, your wealth, we are completely full. You have to understand in the hotel business, once a spot is filled, it cannot be emptied. Once somebody has taken residence of a room, it is more of a challenge to get them up at one in the morning, have them gather their things, and drag them kicking and screaming out the front door just so you can have a room. Amen. No vacancies is completely full. If you still have your Bibles, let's go to 2 Samuel chapter 12. And I want to give us a spiritual example of what this looks like. Do we still do Bible study on Wednesday night? Is this okay? 2 Samuel chapter 12. And uh, Brother Clark up there. I don't like when people read ahead because they get my message before I preach it. So don't go ahead of me here. 2 Samuel chapter 12. I see people doing that in our Bible study sometimes. I'm right in the middle of my good point, and they're about three verses into my message. It's like, wait, I'm going to get to that. You're going to read my best point. Okay, 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1. And the Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he had come unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. 
The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds. Everyone say he had a lot of food. If he lacked anything, it was not flocks and herds. The word of God tells us this for a reason. Verse 3, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had bought, which he had nourished, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat and drink of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. Now, what I want us to see here is that the rich man had many flocks and the poor man of that which he could afford, he would feed even unto this little lamb. This lamb meant so much to him. It is raised in preeminence to that of his own daughter. Now, those that have a little twinkling eye girl who, when she says, I love you, daddy, changes everything. You understand what this verse is saying. If you've got a daughter that runs to the door when you come home from work and says, daddy, daddy, daddy. And it doesn't matter how bad that day was. It doesn't matter how many people cussed you out. It doesn't matter how broke you are. There's something about daddy, daddy, daddy that warms you up inside and says, man, if my little angel's happy, and that's all that matters. This little ewe lamb was like a daughter to him. Verse 4, and there came a traveler. There came someone to take up some occupancy in the rich man's house. The Bible tells us that this rich man, he spared not to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man. But this occupant would be fed the very finest of the poor man's lamb. The Bible tells us he took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. And the Bible says, and David's anger was greatly kindled. What I want us to focus in on is that night, David's palace, David's hotel had a room open. David had some vacancies that night, and no doubt the king of Israel would, 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 would spend time with many travelers, would host many dignitaries, many people would come through the doors of his kingdom and would be dressed and met with the finest of robes and of linens and of foods. No doubt David had entertained many of a traveler. But this night, the traveler came with an appetite that only the poor man's lamb would fill. This night, David had a room just open long enough the sign wasn't ablaze out in the front yard saying, no vacancies here. David had room for a wayfaring traveler. 
The Bible does not give us the name of this traveler. In fact, it does not give us the name of consequently any of David's travelers. But if I was a guessing man, I would name this traveler lust. But this week it's lust. David, what is it next week? Maybe pride. Maybe covetousness. Maybe deception. The question I have for David and for each one of us today is what rooms do you have open in your heart tonight that is still accepting guests? Who here today is still entertaining travelers that only have an appetite for the things of God? Who here is still spending lunchtime with those that would only be fed the finest of meats of Jesus' house. I want to challenge you today that by the end of this service, you kick out every, every dirty devil out of your heart and you put up a sign once and for all, no vacancies here. Luke chapter 2 verse 1 shows us the atmosphere of our text today. The Bible says, and it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. You have to understand verse 7 that we read earlier is a continuation of this verse. And what has happened is Caesar has required all those in his reign to be brought to a census. Now, our word tax today, Brother Abby, I may have you stand and testify. Our word tax today means a little different than it meant back then. Today, it means to levy and raise money for the use of the government. Isn't that great? I just had to write my quarterly check, and man, every, every time I write it, that thing hurts. But here it means, the original word rather means to enroll or to take a list of the citizens with their employments, the amount of their property, etc. Judea was at this time a tributary to Rome. It paid taxes to the Roman emperor. And even though Herod was king, it still was under the jurisdiction of Rome and had to obey it. Verse 2 says, and this taxing was first made when Cyrenus was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Because he was of the house and lineage of David. To be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. I want to do my best to paint a picture of this mass of people traveling at the bidding of their captors. Men, women, children, regardless of their condition, regardless of being great with pregnancy as Mary was, being forced by the captors called Rome to make the trek to their homeland. 
See, you have to understand that it was never God's intention for his people to be under the control of the Gentiles. God did not design his people originally to be in subjection to the Roman authorities. So to put salt in an already gaping wound, to put salt already in a wound brought about by their constant subservience, subservience to Rome, they are now being forced to leave their homeland, to leave their homes, to leave their places of dwelling, where they shop, where they hang out with friends, to go and to be accounted for by their oppressors. God's design for each and every one of us today is the same that God had for them then. God wants each of us to be free of any captor, of any dictator, of any ruler, and of any king. The only king God wants in your repertoire is Jesus Christ and him crucified. Is it possible that God's people had been in bondage so long that even when Jesus finally showed up, they did not know how to be free? Can you be addicted and under the jurisdiction of your Lord's so long that even when Jesus shows up on a Tuesday night to deliver you, you just don't know what freedom looks like. The enemy has drugged you from one city to the next, from one church to the next, from one ideology to the next. You never, ever realizing the scale of your captivity. And Jesus finally shows up on a, at a cornerstone on a Tuesday night to deliver you. And we don't even know freedom when we see it. Back to our original scripture, Luke chapter 2, verse 7. Let's read this together if you have your Bibles. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. This word inn makes me think of about a five-story building, bed and breakfast, uh, running water, uh, you know, uh, 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 an Indian gentleman at the front desk taking, taking me in so I can get my room. Amen? That is not what this word in means. This word in is better translated as caravansary and is not anything like what we would say an in is today. According to my research, this in that the Bible is referencing more than likely had no innkeeper. There was no smiling face with the lights on when you came by this in. No one managing 
and overseeing its day-to-day operation. No one acting as a filter to who could stay and who had to go. They say that this inn was probably made of stalls with a floor, maybe some walls, and a roof. And believe it or not, it was most likely completely free to stay in this inn. People could pass through this particular inn on a journey, stay the night, and go their way. They believe that these types of inns, you could stay as long as you wanted, that there was no limit on your length of stay. The way that they would make money in these particular inns is they would sell food, maybe deliver water, but the inn, in and of itself, was of no cost. Understanding, forgive me, these stalls or rooms for my research were as likely, if not more likely, to be filled with the vagabond and the drunkard than with the peaceable and the holy. Many would have probably have had family or relatives to live with on the Roman census journey. Those that were in these inns were more likely than not those that had nowhere else to go. Many would have probably, leaving those of lesser means to take up residence, understanding that Joseph wasn't able to get a room for Jesus, not because he didn't have money, but because someone had already occupied the spaces in the inn, there was simply no room left for Jesus. Jesus was birthed into a world that already could not facilitate him, that could not give him shelter. It seems as if God wants us to see something here. What about Mary so close to giving birth? You would think someone would have enough morality to allow a woman great in birth to take their stall. Knowing a little bit more about this particular inn, you would think that they would gladly give up a small space for a woman ready to give birth. It gives us some insight into those that probably took up the spaces that night in this inn. No innkeeper meant that no one could ask somebody to leave their stall. It meant that there was no one of some moral code that could determine, listen, this lady is in greater need than you, so you've got to go. No innkeeper meant that even despite a a a tragic condition like Mary's, there was no one there that could ask somebody of greater means to move on down the road. And you know what we're seeing in our world today? We are seeing a loss of the innkeeper. We are seeing people that have lost all morality, that they can't even see. The things that are occupying my life are of lesser value than Christ. No innkeeper means that when Jesus finally shows up, There's no morality, there's no regard, there's no zero level that they can say, Jesus deserves this space more than you. 
No innkeeper. No filter. No morality. Don't judge the sinner for being a sinner. They're just about sin and business. We got to love the sinner and hate the sin, church. We've got to understand that what we're seeing in the world is just a natural progression of sinlessness. It is just a natural it's just a natural gestation process of what sin does over time is it gets worse and it gets worse and it gets worse and it gets worse because there is no keeper of the inn. Who stayed there that night? Murderers, drunks, wanderers. Who really knows who took up space that night? But does it really matter if Jesus was on the roster to stay? Would it have mattered if maybe that inn had been filled with princes and lords and those of the highest morality, those of the greatest peacekeeping abilities, those of the highest financial status? Does it really matter who was in the inn if Jesus wasn't allowed to stay there? Does it really matter what we call our sin if Jesus isn't allowed to take occupancy? Does it really make a difference if we're no longer thugs and addicts, but we're now haters of our brothers and haters of the truth? It looks a lot better. It dresses a lot better. It shows up a lot more frequently. But the point that I'm trying to make in this illustration with the inn is that each of our hearts has rooms to fill. And regardless if you fill it with the noble of this age or the depraved of this day, if Jesus doesn't take up residence, it doesn't matter what's in there. Oh, but Aaron, I, I shouted on Sunday. But Aaron, I was in the Word on Monday. But Aaron, I, I dressed just right and it made everybody think I was a Christian. Oh, but Brother Mayo, it looks so good. That's beautiful. But if Jesus isn't in it, it doesn't matter what's occupying it. You see, what you see here today is just about all I know. I was given the amazing privilege to be raised almost my entire life in the church. These pews you sit on, I slept under them. I drooled on them as a baby. I won't tell you what Zach did to them. They're just, listen, listen. This is all we know, guys. But I got to tell you. It's really easy to fill the heart with a lot of stuff that looks Christian, but Jesus still doesn't have room to stay. It's really easy to have the sign up that says no vacancies and say, Jesus, but the princes are here. Jesus, but the rich are here. Jesus, but all the goodness, all the stuff is here. There's a lot of things occupying these spots, Jesus. Come back next week. All that really matters is that Jesus had your deliverance today. And there was no room left. 
All that really matters is that everything you prayed for may coalesce in this altar call today. But you had so many of the worries, so many of the fears, so many of the distractions of last week, this month, last year, that Jesus has finally showed up to take residence. And we say, Jesus, but the stuff, it's not as bad as the addiction. It's not as bad as the sin was. It's, it's at least a little improvement. Jesus says, listen, all that matters is I got to keep moving. You prayed for it. You believed for it. But when I finally showed up, you had a lot of stuff in my place. Can we pray? Come on, son. There's got to be at least one person. Everybody's giving me that look. It's not me. There's got to be one person that Jesus has come knocking at your door. Jesus has come to deliver. Jesus has come to save. Jesus has come to transform. And you said, God, you know, I filled that spot with fear because I don't believe you can do it for me. I know you can do it for him, but God, not for me. That's fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power. But I want to call you out. I got, I got missionary efforts for you. I want to make you a pastor's wife. I want to make you a good, solid saint that you can bless this church. But God, I've got a lot of covetousness here because, see, I see what he's got and I don't got it. And God, that makes me mad. And God says, you filled my place. That's for me. And you've been under the guise of a Roman emperor so long. They say that Caesar Augustus was the first emperor to ever be called God. They had been under the control of a Gentile God so long that when Jesus finally showed up, they couldn't recognize their Messiah. And guys, let me say, let me just listen. I'm not poking, I'm not probing. But it's so easy for us to be under Gentile rule so long. Uh, the constant washing, pushing, the, the forebodingness of this culture, of this media. For us to see ourselves only the way the world sees us. To only be entertained by what the world tells us to be entertained by. And we see it and we're just, it's constantly coming up against us. It's constant all the time, every day. That finally, it's a Tuesday night. God wants to deliver. God wants to change. God wants to heal. And we say, man, God, maybe next week. God said, I'm not giving birth next week. I'm giving birth tonight. Guys, I don't expect this to be real revelatory. All I'm asking is fears, doubts, suspicions, anger, malice, frustrations. Make room for Jesus. Because it's amazing what Jesus can do when he steps into a situation. Man, I still got a lot of other things, but God, I'll just make a little bit of room for you. God, I, I, I got a lot of doubt. I don't know who this guy is. I don't know really what he's saying. But God, I, I just believe that there's just a little room in here for you. Let's pray. The Bible tells us in Luke chapter 9. And Jesus said unto him, foxes have holes. And birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man is still being resisted with full ends. The Son of Man hath nowhere to lay his head. This end represents so many of our hearts today. Any plashing pleasure is free to stay. 
So you have to understand something about our carnal hearts is it desires the easy. It desires the accessible. The heart is easily trained. This is why after you've lived for God a while, you don't have to fight as much to come to church because you can train yourself. That doesn't mean you're more spiritual. That means you're disciplined, and that's a good discipline. But the heart can be trained. But as we go through life, if there is not an innkeeper at the door, a strong man, just like this caravansary, anything is free to stay. Any sin, any addiction, any fear, any doubt, any anger, any woe can pass through your end and take up occupancy. How long they're going to stay? I don't know. When are you going to kick them out? How long they How long they've been there? Well, this one's been here ten years. This one's been twelve. Man, they're 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 not leaving. You know why they're not leaving? Is because there's still a profit to be made by watering them and feeding them. There's still some coin to be had because those particular sins still bring me so much pleasure. And they pay liberally every time they're fed. You see, that particular fear, Brother Mayo, every time I feed it, it, it makes me feel stronger. It makes me feel resolute that God will never leave me. And as long as you feed it, it continues to pay. A little water here, a little bread over there, and it's still there. Let me give somebody the crux of my whole message. If you stop feeding it, it'll die. If you stop drawing bounties of pleasure from that sin, you may not be strong enough yet to rebuke it. You may not have the power yet to go into that stall and drag them out kicking and screaming, but you just cut off their food supply. And you say, I'm not getting enjoyment from any. I'm turning the TV off. I'm burning the movies. I'm getting rid of the baseball. I'm get, throwing away the football. Why? Because as long as I draw, somebody listen. As long as you draw pleasure, as long as you draw payment from that, from that resident, it's not going anywhere. And I believe, I believe that Jesus is powerful enough that there are some things in your life that a good altar call and a good talk with God, you can kick out of there tonight. You can get out of there right now. I believe God is that powerful. But there are some things that you're going to have to starve. Come on, somebody, get with me. Man, Aaron, I've been praying about this for weeks. I've been fasting about this for months. I've been going after this. Why is it not leaving? Why is it not going? Stop feeding it. Stop giving it attention. Stop visiting it. Stop knocking on its door, asking if it needs anything. Just let it die and pray, God, make me powerful. And what you'll see eventually, what you'll see eventually, come on, this is so simple. I'm trying to reach somebody. What you will see eventually is the scales will begin to tip and a weakened enemy will get weaker and weaker, and you're in the altar praying. You're here in the morning praying. You're, at the, you're fasting. You're living for God. You're dressing right. Why? Because it's strengthening. You're feeding the Spirit of God. You're feeding the Spirit of God in your life. And a matter of time, 
all of a sudden, you look in the mirror like I do every day. Man, this guy's got muscles. This guy is ripped. Right, Brother Sergeant? This guy, man. I ain't never seen nothing like this guy. And you look over at that dirty little devil and you say, man, I, I realize now that I am finally greater than you. Because greater is he that is. See, he was always that powerful. You just couldn't see it. He was always that big, but you just weren't able to realize it. And you start going through that in, and you're dragging devil after devil out of your life. You're dragging fear out. You're dragging depression out. Because you realize. I'm stronger. I'm wiser. God's got my back. God is on my side. You're going to experience something beautiful, something incredible called deliverance. You can dress yourself up any way you want. You can talk any way you want. But nothing will ever outdo the shine of a delivered. <laughs> nothing could ever wipe the smile off a of brother Charles' face. Because that brother's been delivered. You can dress him any way you want, but he's going to go walk into a mall because I've been delivered. Oh, you can't beat the shine of somebody delivered. You can't beat the sparkle in somebody's eyes. That's been freed. But it's going to take work. It's going to take courage. It's going to take a fight and a fire in your eyes that says, I refuse to continue to be under the subjection of any other God. I refuse to be controlled by you. I refuse to be manipulated by you. I will only answer to Jesus and him crucified. Yes. Why are you so excited, Aaron? Because I know what it's like. To be completely captured, to completely under the control of a demonic spirit, of evil things, and to still dress up nice for church. Still take my place in the choir loft. Still do my announcements. And yet the devil's got my heart. And I'm fighting like hell every day to get him out. And then you see a new person. You see a new saint just basking in the presence of God. And you're like, God, what in the world is going on? And God says, you're going to have to starve it, brother. Because it took up residence. You had no guard at the door. Listen, young person. Let the word of God be at your door. And if it tries to enter and doesn't align with the word, beat it while you have the power to. Well, pastor said it, and I don't see it verbatim in the word of God. Listen, you're going to have to get over that real quick, because there's a lot of things that we're going to start preaching that are not going to be A to B in the word of God, but they will kill you spiritually. Amen. Amen. I don't care how much you look in the word of God. You will not see, thou shalt not watch TV, but you will see. Don't put evil before your eyes. And the quicker we can understand that pastor is not here to control us. Pastor's trying to love us. Pastor's trying to exalt us. Pastor's trying to get us to heaven. Well, they did it at my own church. Well, then go to your own church.
But if you want to come to this church, you're going to have to listen to the pastor. Amen. Amen. Put the word of God at the door. And say, if it doesn't line up, it's not coming in. And guys, I fight this too. There is too many temptations. There is too many things being thrown at us as young men in this world to filter every one of them. But you got to say, man, God, that's not of you. It's got to go. Man, God, I don't know how that got in here, but it's got to go. And you got to be on watch. you got to be aware for your adversary, the devil, goes to and fro, seeking whom he may devour. You're going to have to put up a filter at the door, mom and dad. Do not believe that you can expose your kids to whatever you want and it not affect them. I was eight years old when I saw pornography for the first time. Eight years old. Don't think you can put things in your house and it not expose your kids to it. Amen. And there wasn't a guard on that door at that age in life. And God had to help me kick that devil out. And I want to tell you something. Being raised in church is an incredible privilege. But to where much is given, much is required. You are able to experience the incredible gifts of God, blessings of God, the supernatural power of God. You better go into school with your heart right with God. Because you have no idea what is waiting for you in those doors. Guys, I'm almost done. Can we pray? Brother Abby, I think I'm under 30 minutes. Let's pray. Come on. We've got to be careful that we don't use past residents as expectations for new ones. We've got to be careful that we don't use past residents as expectations for new ones. You know, in the job that I work, when I was first getting started, man, I would get the worst customers. They wanted everything, and they wanted to pay nothing. You ever had one of those? Man, I want 10 hours of coverage. I want 19 cameras. I want 30 videographers, and I got 300 bucks. When can you be here? I can't even support Brother Evan Hood's eating habit on 300 bucks. But as I got better, my clients got better. And they were willing to pay more. It's the most amazing thing. Listen, I got to tell you. These people will pay anything. And they have no expectations. It's incredible. Because there's a level of trust that because they're paying more, they're going to get a better product. And it's easy when you're first coming to God, if you start to look at Jesus like you looked at old residents and say, man, Jesus, the guy who took up that space paid me a lot more than you're paying me. I got a lot more pleasure out of immorality than I'm getting out of you. Oh, man, I got a lot more benefit, Jesus. When depression was living there, and now you're trying to dictate my life. You're trying to dictate 
not only your little spot, but all the other spots you're not even in. You're not even in 2B, Jesus. You just worry about 1A, and I'll worry about 2B. But Jesus is like, it all goes where I go. Well, past residents, Jesus, didn't ask that much of me. Why are you requiring so much of me now? Because you're never going to be truly free until every spot in your heart is occupied by Jesus Christ. You're never going to realize the potential God has for you until every door's been kicked in, every devil's been dragged out, every room's been cleaned. He's going to go into the bathroom. He's going to go into the in closet. He's going to go to the reception desk. And he's going to say, it's got to go. It's got to go. It's got to go. It's got to go. What are you paying me? Eternal life. What are you paying me? Peace. What are you paying me? Joy. What are you paying me? Life eternal. What are you paying me? God, give us the courage to allow you to take occupancy. The Bible gives us an incredible illustration. I'm coming to the close. I don't have my glasses on. I can't see what time it is. It's not enough just to let Jesus take up a room. Let me take this one step further because the Bible gives us an incredible illustration. It says, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he walketh through dry places seeking rest and findeth none. And the Bible gives us an illustration of when that devil returns to its home. Look it up. Brother Clark, pull it up. They can read ahead on this one. When they return to their home, that evil spirit saw the person it was occupying as home. Not just a place to dwell. Not just a place to frequent on weekends. It said, I'm home now. But the problem is, is that it's swept. It's cleaned. If you go into those words, it's garnished. It's decorated. Go home and look this up. The previous dwelling place of the evil spirit had been cleaned out. Now let me tell you something. The only thing that can wash a man is Jesus Christ. The only thing that can wash you out is Jesus Christ. And at one point, I believe, go home and read this. At one point, Jesus had occupied this inn. And that spirit was given the boot. And Jesus went to work cleaning, decorating, putting up wall ornaments. It invited Sister Sergeant over to help with the decor. Got flowers. Made it look real nice. It wouldn't let Brother Pyatt there because he just put horses and horseshoes and wood and brick. No, this thing had tapestries. This thing's was looking good. But for whatever reason, somebody stay with me. For whatever reason... Jesus was no longer occupying this inn. Jesus was no longer welcomed in this. It was still clean. 
because the evil spirit hadn't come back yet. This is in your Bible. It's not enough just to clean the space. It's not enough just to decorate the space. It's not enough just to pick up the pieces. You've got to be occupied with the spirit of Jesus Christ. What are you talking about, Brother Mayo? I'm talking about when Jesus says no, you say no. I'm talking about when Jesus says yes, you say yes. I'm talking about when Jesus says right, you go right. When Jesus says left, you go left. It wasn't occupied. It looked good. It probably smelled good. It talked good. But it wasn't occupied. And you see, spirits, they're not real smart. They know a couple things. They know that God is one, which is amazing. They know it and they tremble. But this devil said, you know what? I couldn't beat this guy by myself last time. So this time, this time I need to recruit some brethren to help me take this in. Sometimes I believe the children of darkness can be wiser than the children of light. Because how many times do we get in a bunch, but instead of going to our brother saying, this fortress I can't take alone. I need a brother Knutson. I need an elder sergeant. I need two or three men to get in there with me because I, this thing's big. This thing's huge. And God, I need somebody to pray with me. I need somebody to talk to. I need somebody to confess to because I'm falling. I'm making mistakes. And I know they won't judge me because they were there too. And God delivered them so God can deliver me. And man, I'm going to get some of my brothers together. And we're going to take this thing out. No. No, to too many, that looks like weakness. And what you don't understand is that looks like strength. To too many, that looks like weakness. But what you understand is that is strength. Amen. So this devil got seven friends together. And you can go home and read it. If I remember correctly, they were able to conquer the house. I don't know how long that house stayed empty. And like I said before, I don't know if it really matters. I don't know how many services we can go empty. But I don't know if that really matters. It could take weeks. It could take months before those old addictions. That's why, let me just slow down here real quick and say this, and I'm coming to a close. That's why the Bible talks about, if I remember the scripture correctly, shunning the very appearance of evil. Because when you've been addicted, you don't even want something that smells like your addiction. You don't even want, you don't even want the marble man on your wall anymore. You don't even want shirts that got beer bottles. 
You don't even want to be at parties that people are drinking because it reminds you of bondage too much. You start to shun the very appearance of evil because God is so precious to you. And I know what it's like to go weeks without feeling Jesus. And that doesn't always mean He's not there. But every once in a while, God, touch me. God, I want to feel you, Jesus. I want to know you're still with me. I want to know I'm going to heaven, Jesus. It's not enough just to combat the sin. I want the Savior. It's not enough just to look Pentecostal. I want to feel Jesus. Looking Pentecostal is beautiful. It's awesome. It's necessary. But I want to feel Jesus. I want to be close to Jesus. I want him to live in my heart. I want to please him. God, help us never to love the creation more than we love the creator. Maybe somebody here, it's been a week, two weeks, a month, and you're still garnished, you're still clean, and that spirit hasn't visited you. Don't let tonight pass you by. Because you don't know what tomorrow holds. And it may be tomorrow, like David. You know what David's problem was? Let me go all the way back. Let's all stand. Come into the home, home stretch here. David's problem, if you really break down that story, was not the traveler. You know what David's problem was? He was taking on leisure when he should have been at war. That one sin cost Uriah, his lamb, Uriah, his life, and David's son by Bathsheba, who may have went on to be a greater king than Solomon. We don't know. But three lives for one sin. And his problem wasn't that he couldn't resist the traveler, is that he was up for entertaining guests when he should have been at war. Guys, I'm not saying this because I've got this figured out. I know what it's like to be entertaining guests when I should be fighting devils. I know what it's like to be feeding the flesh when I should be praying. I know what it's like, young person, what it's like to be doing what I ought not to be doing when God has really called me to an altar of prayer, hanging out with my friends out in the foyer where God says, you're going to go another week empty? You really going to do this again? Another Tuesday? Unoccupied? Can you afford it? You know what's beautiful about this building that we don't have the luxury of in our church? As long as Brother Chris is willing, he'll keep this thing up all night so that you can be occupied. Because you being occupied, me being occupied, is more important than anything else.
Matthew chapter 24, verse 42 says this. Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the good man of the house had known. If the good man of the house had known. He would have been on watch. The good man. And what, when the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Be on watch. Let's go to the next verse. Therefore, be ye also ready, for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. Guys, I don't know about you and you, I don't know about you, but I have not sacrificed my life to miss heaven. I have not checked all the boxes and dotted all the I's so that you would think I'm a good guy just to miss heaven. Because even a good man, not on watch, his house will be broken up. I'm almost done. Let's raise our hands and talk to God. Is it going to be another week? Are we going to put it on our calendar when we're going to be filled again? Come on, somebody, reach out to God. Come on, somebody. Take doubt out of its room by its nappy neck. Bring fear out from the closet. Bring anger and malice at your brother. Bring it out of the back room. And say, God, not one more day. I say this all the time at my church. My word is only as powerful as your ability to receive it. A seed is of little value if it does not fall on good ground. Luke chapter 18, verse 7. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. The amazing power that Jesus brought to earth and is presented with all of humanity is completely and totally dependent on each of us making room in our heart. God is a gentleman. And just like the Christ child, it will not be forced. There will be no kick down doors, no wills to overcome. Jesus will only come into those that let him. If Jesus does not occupy this heart, it is no one to blame but me. You can come up, Brother Jordan. God will only operate with the willing. God will only operate with the willing. Those who will rid their lives of the foolish and the temporary in exchange for the eternal. Let's pray. Thank you.